We are in part three of our series through the book of Philippians, and I entitled the series Ambassadors for the Kingdom. And today's message specifically is talking about our lives are not our own. I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank on that sheet or on your app with this comment. Do you know the gospel? If I say, are you sharing the gospel? Do you even know what that means? Uh, Here's the answer. It's the Jesus story. Do you know the Jesus story? And you go, well, yeah, 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 no, I know that. And I said, all right, so what are the facts of the gospel? Well, that's when we start panicking because we feel like it's a test, right? We're like, I don't know if I know those. Uh, Okay, so let me me lay out the basics. 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son here to live a perfect life. He died for the sins of mankind. He was in the tomb for three days, got back up, ascended back to the Father, and he will come again. Those are the facts. Now, I hope when you tell it, it's more interesting than that. And if you tell it in your own words, and if you kind of miss a couple things, don't worry about it. You're telling the story of Jesus. And the reason why the story of Jesus is so important is it says that God got in contact with mankind and we need to do something about it. That whether they accept it or reject it, they at least need to know the Jesus story. So if you ever feel late on your heart, man, I wish I, wish I was able to evangelize a lot more. Evangelism is really only two things, telling your story and telling the Jesus story. That's it. I mean, we get it really wrapped up and thinking it's a bigger deal than it is. I would suggest you are probably sharing your faith and evangelizing way more than you are giving yourself credit for. If you're telling your story and Jesus's story, that's where everything begins. Now, I got a question for you. Who needs to hear the gospel? Everyone. Now, are you sure about that? Uh, your enemies too? Uh, that's where it starts getting a little bit tough. Uh, how is, excuse me, how are they going to know the gospel? How's God going to get it to them? Probably going to get it to them through us, right? But what if they're not willing to listen to what we say? Then God's going to have to show them, right? And he's usually going to show them through our lives. That's what this message is about. But the bottom line to everything that we are driving toward is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's this, Jesus Christ must be proclaimed everywhere. Jesus Christ must be proclaimed everywhere, whether that is by word or that is by example. Jesus Christ must be proclaimed everywhere. Turn with me to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, verse 12. We have a lot of uh, scripture that we're going to be going through today, primarily out of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, if you have trouble finding it, it's page 980 in the Bible's under the seat in front of you, I believe, somewhere thereabouts. That'll get you there a little bit faster. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul the Apostle is talking to a church, writing them a letter back about some questions they had and some concerns they had. He had some thoughts he wanted to share with them. He had planted the church 10 years prior. They were very precious to his heart, and he is now continuing that conversation. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I'm just going to read two verses, and then we'll go back and tear it apart and then do a few more. Here's what he said. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, wait, what did he just say? He said, what happened to me? Well, what happened to him? Well, he got thrown in jail. Right now, we believe, scholars believe, that he is writing from a jail in Rome. He said, what happened to me? My arrest, my imprisonment. What happened to me didn't seem awesome. As a matter of fact, I was praying that I wouldn't get arrested. And then I was hoping that I would just get released immediately. But here I am, I'm still in jail. But what has happened to me when we saw it as a bad thing actually served to advance the gospel. That's pretty awesome. Why is Paul in jail? He says it's because of the gospel. It's for Jesus. What's wrong with the gospel? Why is that illegal? Well, the Roman Empire didn't quite know what to do with Christianity. They thought originally that we were merely a sect of Judaism. Judaism is an approved religion. Jews were cool in the Roman Empire. They didn't have a big problem with them. They could do their own thing. But Christianity started saying things that were almost on the level of treason in the minds of the Romans. So they're still trying to figure out Christianity. What were they saying? Well, normally it was fine for them to have a religion, but Christianity started saying phrases like this, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because the emperor worship of Rome, where they said their leader was God and you need to give him honor, everyone was required to say that Caesar is Lord. Well, Christians said, I'm not gonna say that because Jesus is Lord. And people in the Roman government said, that's treason. You're saying that you no longer follow our government, you follow a different government, you talk about a different king, you're speaking treasonous language. Now, they didn't know if that was fully accurate or not, so the irritation of Christianity, they would grab them and they would throw them in jail. Now, that's not what Paul wanted, but he said, once I was in there, I realized it actually served to advance the gospel. Why? He said, it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard. Let's just pause real quick. When I say Imperial Guard, if you think Star Wars, you're a total nerd, <laughs> right? Now, if you didn't, you're normal. That's cool. But people like me, that's all I can think about. All right, moving on. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What does that mean? The emperor's elite forces were called the Praetorium. That's these guys. He said, now they all know the story of Jesus. They know that I'm here because of him. Now that's a big deal. Why? Because I can tell you right now, if I ever tried to get an appointment with any of those guys to talk about the gospel, they would have never taken my appointment. I can't reach these guys ever. And now all of a sudden, ta-da, I'm right in front of them and they can't get rid of me, right? We know, we know by history that the Praetorium would do four hour shifts. For four hours, what do you think Paul is talking about? 
And he's going, man, I couldn't even get five minutes with you. Now I'm constantly talking about it. And I got nothing else to do in here. Real quick, the jails over there are not awesome. If he's under house arrest, that is much better. But if he's in jail, if he's in prison, you guys, I got a chance to go there. I don't know how many of you have ever got a chance to go to Rome. But just outside the Roman Forum on one of the corners of it, is the Mamertine prison. It's become famous because Paul was held there for a time. I gotta tell you what that place is like. It's about 20 by 20 and it's just a hole in the ground. There's no windows, it's underground, it's dark and it's nasty. Now, obviously they cleaned it up for tourists and you would basically be lowered down through a hole in the ground up above. And so there was no way to get out of there. And then all the waste would go down in the middle. So it was slightly sloped. And the reason why I say it's slightly sloped is I could only stand up in there in the center. Then I can actually fit in there. I'm 6'3". So everywhere else, I had to bend over. So it's not even like it's very tall, right? It's a very small, gross hole in the ground. Well, what are you going to do in there? Nothing. And so he's either worshiping out loud, or he's preaching and talking about something about Jesus. They had to be around him for four hours at a shift. Now, quick question. Did God get him arrested and then use it for the gospel? Or did he get arrested and God turned it around? What do you think? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, right? Why? Because God is so good at redemption that it's really hard to tell what the original plan was. Uh, for example, uh, my panic disorder that I have, uh, did God cause it so that I would be able to be a better pastor or did I have it and then God used it and then made me to be a better pastor through it? It's so confusing, you don't even know which one started. The most common example that I ever cite because I find it so stunning is that the Messiah comes through the lineage of Bathsheba. So let me ask you this, was it God's instigation of adultery and murder or did adultery and murder happen and God turned it around and redeemed it so powerfully that the Messiah came through her line? The reason why I'm highlighting this is think about your life. You're gonna keep going, man, bad stuff happened in here. I'm gonna tell you, whatever bad things happen to you, especially if it's trauma of your past, God's redemption is so powerful that by the time he gets done with it, you're not even sure whether or not that was the original plan. Man, God is so loving and good. Yeah, amen, let's pray, let's clap for that. Come on. It's, it's this idea that you go, Lord, I'm wrestling with all this hurt and this pain and this past and all this stuff. I, I, what is going on? Why would you allow that? But the bottom line is, he goes, hold on, I'm not done with it yet. I'm gonna do extraordinary things through it so that it's gonna be very hard for you to realize what my real plan was. So let me, let me talk for a moment about when God said, you will be my witnesses to his followers, you will be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said, you will be my witnesses, he did not say, you'll think up neat things to say. He did not say, you'll make up amazing tracts. He did not say, you'll come up with great sermons. He said, you are my walking displays, whether you like it or not. 
Whether you're on your good days or your bad days, you are always walking displays for the kingdom of God. Are you okay with that? We have missional communities here at Bridgeway, which are small groups, uh, and we are going through the sermon material, and I'm going to share a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this week. But if you don't have a group um, and you go, man, I would love to be a part of that, you can always text LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 33222, and then Miss Heather Johnson can make sure that you get plugged into one. So what we're going to be talking about this week are the following questions. God uses our lives as message displays. Are you okay with that? Can God use you as he wishes to use you without you getting mad or depressed about it? Because once again, there's some tough stuff that he's going to have us walk through. What if it means less for you, but more for the kingdom? What if your sign hanging on your body says God's more important than suffering? What are you going to do with that? You see, what happens is we only like God's plan when it works well for us. We don't seem to like God's plan if he does something that we don't agree with. And what happens is if God wants to use us, many of us grow bitter. Many of us say he's less loving. Many of us, it's like whenever it doesn't jive, whenever it doesn't line up, with the way we think things should go, we say that God messed up. But isn't he allowed to use us as witnesses of a much greater thing than us every day? Can't he do that? And if he does that with us and it's not what we want, why are we getting angry at him? Why do you think we're here? We think that we're here, what, just to survive? We're here for what? No, we're here for the glory of God. And if we're here for the glory of God, he gets to paint a picture with all different types of colors of life. And sometimes it doesn't feel very good. You know, something as simple as um, my knee. My knee's totally messed up right now. I went and had x-rays on it. And uh, it feels good only in the morning when I wake up, right? And then it just kind of goes downhill from there. It's been now uh, five weeks so I had x-rays on it, I'm going to get an MRI on it, and it's on, it's on my left knee. Well, at Worship Prayer and Healing Night, we're praying for it like crazy. I've had everybody, all my prayer warriors pray for it and everything else. The reality is, it still hurts a whole bunch. And I think it is a ligament uh, tendon strain that is underneath it, right? So when we find out the MRI, maybe we'll find out. But here's the point. I prayed about it a bunch and I don't like having a messed up knee. I don't like being limited. I don't like the idea that I can't go out and exercise. I don't like any of that. But if I have talked to my heavenly father about it and I've had wonderful people pray for it, until it is healed, God is still working through it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's something going on. Why? Because it's not a waste. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean God's not using it. Does that make sense? And so am I still going to pray for it? Yeah, I believe in miracles. So once again, I'm going to keep praying for it. And how about now, Lord? How about now, Lord? How about now? Right? I mean, I always do that. But until he heals it, God's using it. There's something going on. Does it mean that God went ping and just messed up my knee because he was like, I got nothing else to do today. Might as well mess up Lance's leg. No, 
No, I think that there's a normal wear and tear on a human body when you do running and jogging and stuff like that. What I'm telling you is that God will redeem it in such a way that it has value. That's all I'm trying to tell you. But I don't like it. Now, that is a very simple, easy, lighthearted example. Many of us are going through much more severe things, but the premise is still the same. God is saying something through your life, and he knows what's best. We need to learn more and more to trust him. God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I trust you. God, I don't understand, but I trust you. That's really the response of a believer. Let's go to verse 14. I'll read 14 through 18. He said this. He said, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For indeed, uh, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What did he just say? He said this. He said, not only did the gospel move forward, but the fact that I got put in prison made a whole bunch of other Christians get all fired up. They thought if he can go in there and be bold for the Lord and be willing to go into jail, I can strengthen up and be bold as well. So I got a question for you. How do you feel about Christian celebrity? Does it bother you? L let me give you this. What is the difference between a role model, a hero, a celebrity, and an idol? What's the difference? Because I'll tell you what, it's all the same facts. So I don't know what you want to call it. You can switch names, but it all tends to be the same thing. What makes the difference? the heart motivation, right? The heart motivation of how you're looking at that person. Because I think we all understand that human beings grow by role modeling, right? And so Paul said, man, they're looking at me, they know what happened to me, and they saw my lifestyle, and they got fired up, and they wanted to do stuff better as well. So later on in a book, he says, what? Follow me as I follow Christ, meaning, Follow my role modeling. But Paul is a celebrity. Is that why everybody knows about him? Sure. Of course that's why. Are you uncomfortable with celebrity? But here's the other thing. Don't you want your kids to look up to Christians? How are they going to do that? Because the people they look up right now to are celebrities, right? Oh, I love that person. And how do they know about them? Because they're on TV, they're in books, they're being talked about on social media, all that stuff, right? That's how they know about them. And you yet want Christian role models. So you cool with Christian celebrity. Here's what's funny. We tend to be cool with Christian celebrity as long as they're dead. Once they're dead, legit, we're all good, right? Let me give you an example. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller? George Mueller, 1805 to 1898. He has since passed, all right? So George Mueller is super famous for being a man of faith and prayer. So his most famous example is that he was a poor preacher that felt called by God 
to launch an orphanage. He had 700 children under his care at one point, and he built in anticipation for 450 more. But he didn't have any money. So he had this whole ministry for decades only based on the donations of other people. And here's kind of how he would run it. He was so much into God taking care of him as he would do this. Famous story. Uh, Kids, there's nothing to eat, but God will provide. Now, how does God provide for hundreds of children at a time? You don't just scrape something together. Well, the famous story is they prayed and there was a knock at the door. And there was a baker at the door. And this is early in the morning. The baker said, I had a feeling from God that you guys didn't have enough. So I woke up at 2 a.m. and have been baking all night long. And here is your bread. When he leaves, knock on the door. The milk wagon broke down in front of their household and all the milk was delivered in. They had milk and bread for all the kids. Uh, George Mueller was so confident in his provision from his Lord, he would talk about it as if it was fact before it happened. Now, is that inspiring? Yeah. And you know the reason why you know about him? He's a celebrity, but he's dead, so we all feel good about it, right? But what I'm trying to tell you is that Paul is saying, listen, there's going to be people like Hudson Taylor, China Inland Missions. Y'all remember that guy? Because of one man, he, re- he was responsible for 50% of all missionaries to China, and millions of people were reached. What about Amy Carmichael? Unheard of in her day, a single woman from Ireland goes into India for 50 years and transforms the nation by taking care of young women that are poor and in sex trafficking. And we can go on, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, all these people. We can just start naming them. The only reason you know about them is they're celebrities. But they're role models. And Paul said, man, now that I'm in prison, it has inspired so many others to get fired up and they would be bold as well. So it's okay to live out loud. But he said, while I'm in here, some people think it's great and they're partnering with me and some people are taking advantage of the fact that I'm in here. They're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it with weird motives. Some of them are just They're so glad I'm out of the mix so they can preach their style. Do you realize that Paul had other preachers that didn't like him? Now, I know it's impossible for you to imagine that some preachers don't get along with other preachers, (laughs) right? But I'm talking about due to envy, rivalry, jealousy, the same garbage that we are still wrestling with today was very evident back then. People were taking advantage of the fact that Paul was in jail to be able to do their own version and they could point out and go, if you follow me and my way, I would have never gone to jail. Paul's doing it wrong. I mean, he's always got to be in everybody's face. He's always got to be too loud. He's always got to be too obnoxious. If he would just mellow out like we do, we wouldn't be having this issue. So if you want to follow Christianity the way it's supposed to be, you should follow my brand of Christianity and not Paul's. I don't even think his theology is legit. And everybody was challenging him all the time. Can you imagine questioning the theology of Paul the Apostle? Where, with whom we get at least 13 books of our entire Bible written by that guy. 
But in his day, he was just another guy stirring up and causing a problem for the status quo. And they didn't like him. But check out his, his perspective. Whether they got bad motivations or not, as long as the Jesus story is being told, I don't care. That is not at all the divisive attitude that we have in the world today, right? Let me explain some of these things. Uh, Y'all ever heard of a letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr.? Anybody know that one? Um, I'm going to give you some homework, and I'm going to have you look it up. Uh, there's a free PDF online, A Letter from a Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King Jr. I want you to read it in its entirety. It is absolutely brilliant. So Martin Luther King was put in jail in Birmingham, Alabama. He's not from Birmingham, Alabama. And when he was put in jail, church people, now you have to remember, he's a pastor. Other pastors and church people criticized him. They said, you're too extreme. If you would just mellow out and leave things the way they are, we wouldn't be having this problem. All you're doing is going around, you're breaking rules, you're doing stuff like sit-ins, and you're doing things that are agitating the population. You need to just leave it alone because we believe in the gospel, and that has nothing to do with what you're doing. So, well, that really hurt Martin Luther King Jr. Because he said, no, 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 my whole motivation is Christianity. That I was told, you wanna know why I'm in Birmingham? You told me not to be an outsider. You know why I'm here? Because you have injustice here. And if injustice is here, I gotta come in. I gotta say something about it. Why? Paul the apostle responded to the Macedonian call and they said, help us in my vision. Well, my people are calling out to me saying, help us, and I gotta go wherever the pain is. So of course I'm gonna come in here. But he said that it was interesting is he said, you keep telling me to wait. You clergymen, you tell me, wait, we're working on it. We're doing something behind the scenes. You know what it sounds like to me? Wait means never. How do I know that? Because we've been dealing with this for 340 years so far and nothing is changing. So no, I'm not going to wait. It's very easy for you who are not being oppressed to say wait to those of us who are, are being oppressed. He's like, that's breaking my heart. He said, he said, you tell me I'm breaking rules. Do you understand that there are two types of laws? There are just laws and there are unjust laws. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't obey their law to bow down before another god, some laws are not acceptable. So I'm going to follow the law of God more than the law of man. And I think that what is happening and the hurt and the pain that is going on right now is unacceptable. And this, then he said this, he said, I'll tell you, you know who's really breaking my heart is those of you that tell me you're on my side, but you're silent. You don't do anything about it. Listen to this quote. He said, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who's more devoted to order than to justice. That's powerful. He said, everybody wants to just keep the status quo. You keep telling me to mellow out and not be extreme. If I'm not extreme, nothing's going to happen. And if you wanna call me extreme, I'm the mellow guy. 
Other folks are extreme. I'm not even extreme, but you don't want anyone to ruffle any feathers. And what happens is you keep telling me to mellow out. Here's the other thing he said. He said, I don't criticize the church as an outsider. I'm a pastor. He said, I love the church. I will die for the church. This is my home. He said, I wouldn't critique it if I didn't love it. But then he said this. He said, you know what? The church used to stand for what was right. And this is what is his quote. So often, he said, the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often, it's an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of an average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. What he was saying is he said the church used to stand for change. He said everywhere Christians went, they were known as disturbers of the peace because they would come in and say, that's not right, that's wrong. And he said everywhere Jesus kept getting called a rabble rouser. He kept getting called someone that was destroying the status quo. He said, I'm just trying to help people that hurt. Now, what's so fascinating is the tie-ins to what Paul was saying. Paul was getting criticized. Dude, if you would have done it a different way, if you would have just handled it, there's a bunch of other ways. We're not in jail. We don't seem to be having this problem. And Paul said, you know what? I'm going to do as the Lord calls me to do. I understand. I'm in jail. I get it. What I'm telling you is that there's people out there trying to take advantage of that, and all they do is want to throw rocks at me. He's like, that breaks my heart, but I'm doing my best, yeah? It's interesting. I don't know if we all have that perspective that Paul can have that whether for good reasons or bad reasons, as long as Jesus' message is out there, we're good with that. Because I think that in today's divisive society, we are super focused on are you doing it my way or not? Everything's about my way or not. When are we going to get more interested in the bigger picture of the gospel being shared than our particular opinion being agreed upon, right? You understand what I'm talking about? Now, here's why. You're going to say, all right, pastor, this is where I'm having a problem because there is truth and there is grace. So, pastor, you tell me how much are we allowed to allow a mess up of the gospel, a mess up of God's message until it's no longer God's message. I think we need to stand for truth. And if somebody is out there sharing error, I think we need to call it out. All right, hold on. I agree with you. I'm a truth guy. I'm a super Bible nerd. I'm all into Jesus and I gave my whole life over to him. I study it day in and day out. So I'm a truth guy, but there's one thing that I learned along the way that has allowed me to be much more grace-filled than truth-focused. And here's the reality. You ready? You might want to write this down. Everyone's theology is screwed up. (laughs) Maybe you can remember that one. Everyone's theology is screwed up. And you go, yeah, you go, no, it's not. I got this one. Well, hold on. Let me explain something to you. At Bridgeway, I believe everything I teach is right. Everyone clear on that? No. I think everything I teach is right. If it wasn't, why would I be teaching it? Right? If it was wrong, I would change it. So I think it's right. Does that mean it is right? No. It means I think it's right. You see, everyone that was against Paul thought they were right too. But everyone's theology 
has holes in it. How do I know that? Well, let me go through this with you a little bit. This is how clueless we are in Christianity. Ready? Here we go. What's God like? We have no idea. Because now all of a sudden we got into a conversation about the Trinity. Do you know how the Trinity works? Nope. We know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me throw something in there. Are you sure that's the total of God or that's the only portions of his nature that he revealed to us? Is there more? You have no idea. We don't even know what God is like. Let me give you another one. Why did God set into motion the plans he set into motion? What's his motivation? We don't know. We're guessing. You go, well, he has a plan of redemption. Cool. Why did he do that plan versus another plan? You don't know. We don't even know the motivations of God. Here's another one. How does the Holy Spirit work? No clue. Jesus said it's mysterious. If Jesus says it's mysterious, it's mysterious. He said he's kind of like a wind. He just shows up and then he takes off. I have no idea what he's doing, right? So we don't know that one. Here's another one. In what way, how are we all really saved? Do you have any idea? No, you don't. Was it that you were predestined to be saved or you responded out of your free will? You go, oh, I have that one nailed down. No, you don't. How do I know that? Because whatever opinion you have, I'll blow it out of the water. Why? With the Bible. Because the Bible teaches both simultaneously and clearly. How do they all work together? Nobody knows. So we don't even know that. What is the normal expected Christian experience? How much sin can we remove out of our lives and how much will remain? How do we know what our purpose is and how God is working through our lives? How do we know how many miracles we should expect and not expect? We don't know. Now, here's my point. Go easy on the whole, I'm gonna critique every other Christian around me in every other ministry because they're not getting it right. You're not either, right? Because I, I wrote this down because it's really important to me. Here we go. This is, this is how I feel about the matter. You can hold them accountable for principles that don't line up with scripture, but don't attack the people. You following me? There's nothing wrong with going, I don't see that in scripture. I'm not agreeing with you. That's completely fine, but that's a principle, not a person, right? Here's the other part. You can examine the fruit of their ministry and determine whether you think it's healthy or not, but remember that no ministry is fully healthy, all right? You can decide by evidence whether a person seems to be in it for the right reasons or wrong reasons and hold them accountable for the motivations they reveal, but no, you never know the heart of another person. Here's my point. It's okay to stand for truth as you see it, but it's not okay to be cocky. Yeah? Because it's when we start thinking we know everything that we start getting mean. And then all of a sudden it slips out from Christianity and it starts becoming something else. Am I a truth guy? Yes, absolutely. But the manner in which we conduct ourselves is very, very important. And the premise should always be this. If you see someone doing it wrong, do it right, but don't spend all your time talking about them doing it wrong. Spend more of your time just doing it right. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. Look at verse 18. He said, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Two things right there. First one is this, he rejoices in bad circumstances, and I'm not that mature yet. I don't know where you're at on that growth curve, but I'm, I'm not yet at the place where James is. Remember how James wrote in his book, he said, consider it joy whenever you face trials of various kinds because you know it's gonna turn out awesome. Man, I'm not there yet. Man, if somebody gives me a cancer diagnosis, I'm not pumped, right? Oh man, I wonder what God can do through this. Man, I got, God's gonna do incredible things through this. I'm not there yet. I'm still so human and so attached to this stuff that when something bad comes down, oh, you're gonna lose your home. Oh, well, you just got fired. Oh, well, this. when something bad comes in, I think about me first, right? And I'm like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And I start scrambling in my mind to how I can solve my problem. But Paul has this much bigger, mature perspective that he's like, you know what? It doesn't even matter what happens. We're all good because God's gonna use it somehow, some way. Man, I wanna grow up like that. I wanna be like that. Here's the other thing he said. He said, I am totally convinced that through your prayers and the movement of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna get out of here. Well, that's a confidence that he has. You know how God moves in the world? He triggers off the prayers of his people and the Holy Spirit gets it done. If we're not praying, there's a lot of stuff not getting done. Well, God's gonna do it anyway. What if he decides not to do it until you pray about it? Now we're waiting on you. You see, our prayer lives matter because God says they matter. So he's waiting the whole time and going, kids, what do you think? What do you think? Oh, I actually need five of you to agree on that. Well, four of you are praying your guts out. All right, cool, let's get number five involved because I don't wanna do this until you're all part of the team. The idea of the prayers of the church, the prayers of the church, Paul said, if I wanna see movement, it's gotta come through your prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit, then stuff starts moving in my life. That's amazing. Just, be, just know when you go in to pray, it matters. Pick it up in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you have that perspective? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Whatever happens, I'm good with. Here's what we're gonna talk about in our groups. Are we evaluating life and death by God's standards? Do we live with Paul's perspective? Do we evaluate what happens to us in light of heavenly purpose? Do we submit to his plans or are we too attached here? Man, I think that's something that we need to be talking about, right? I think we need to admit that we're somewhere on that growth curve. We're not all there, but we're not all at the starting point. We're somewhere in the middle. Let's pick it up in verse 27 as we wrap this up. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit 
with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. Real quick question. How important is unity to Paul? Very. Very. It's critical. It's critical. You guys, together we can do extraordinary things. Apart, we're very weak. Let's keep going. He said, and I'm praying that you would not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. What did he say? He said, man, my hope and prayer is that you don't get rattled by the enemies out there. Well, do you tend to compromise based on how people are going to treat you, how it's going to look? Because you can't change your attackers. You can't change their behavior. They're going to do what they do. The only person you can change is who? Yourself. Let me give you an example. If what your opponent can do to you matters to you, then it's scary. If it doesn't matter to you, it's not scary. So let me give you an example. The most important thing for us to do is to change what's important to us. So, for example, the more we care about God's opinion, the less our reputation matters. Right? Here's another one. The more we are building God's kingdom and not ours, the less we have to lose. Next one. The more secure our identity is in Christ, the less words and opinions stick. The more we believe in miracles, the less our circumstances matter. The more we long for heaven, the less we attach to this world. What's the point? The point is, when you finally get to the place where you only want what God wants, you realize your enemies can't take away God's stuff. And so they've got nothing on you. This is the attitude Paul had. He walks through life with this lightness of being where he says this, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to make fun of me? I don't care about your opinion in the first place. And what are you going to do? Take away my stuff? I don't have anything that matters. Go ahead. You're just going to lighten my load. And then what are you going to do? You're going to kill me so I get to go to greater glory? You see, dead men fear nothing, right? And he's this walking dead man of going, guys, I'm not afraid of you. If you put me in jail, I preach in jail. And my ministry goes stronger. You can't shut me down. So bring it. I don't care because I'm just going to do my Jesus stuff. And whatever happens is in his hands. Man, how beautiful it is to walk with the lightness of that heart. You know what I'm saying? Where you're just like, yep. Doesn't matter, we're all good. God can use anything. I feel totally peaceful. What a wonderful peace would come into our heart if we had that attitude. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? We're gonna pray for that very thing, yeah? See, some of us still are getting really rattled by the enemy. We tend to compromise or we tend to cave or we tend to get a little bit nervous and we pull back because we're worried about what other people will think, what other people will say. We're worried too much about our reputation. We're worried about securing 
our stuff, maybe little by little we can get our hearts more obsessed with Jesus, more lost in heaven, so that all that tension falls away. Let's pray about that, yeah? And then we'll open up the altar. These prayer warriors are here to pray about any need. Remember, the worship prayer and healing night just happened recently, so they're probably working on the afterglow, all right? So you might want to take advantage of it before it fades, amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, your children here, Lord, we're still getting rattled when the enemy barks. And I pray, Lord, that we might be able to be so overwhelmed in faith with you, that, Lord, that whatever they say, it doesn't matter. God, I pray that you would give us bold and courageous hearts. I pray that, Lord, whether or not you move us into one area of life or whether or not we get this diagnosis or whether or not this comes and faces us, that, God, we're so convinced of your power, we're so convinced of your purpose that nothing rattles us on the inside. God, things are going to come and go, and you're going to do great and wonderful redemption moves. But God, I just pray that in the midst of it all, you still have our heart, that we do not grumble against you, that we do not get bitter, but Lord, that we might give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.